Welcome to Twice Born Podcasts. My name is Mike Bailey. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to get your feedback, and if you have any questions, please go to twiceborn.net. You can also find us on social media. I hope that you find this podcast helpful and informative. God bless. And as you think about the 4th of July, you think about fireworks and you think about celebrations and barbecues and getting together with your family and really hot weather and thunderstorms. Um, But we get together, we celebrate. As a nation, we've decided that this day is worthwhile because we gained our independence. And right uh, in this moment, uh, we are living proof of that independence. We are able to freely meet here and to worship together. But I just want to share really quickly before I get into the message, just some background. Because, you know, we're in church and we are citizens of heaven. And we know that the United States has an expiration date that it's not going to last forever. And so we don't worship the United States of America. We're very grateful for the United States of America, but we don't worship it. And so what, as a Christian, what is our responsibility when we come to holidays like the 4th of July? Well, doing some background study on some of the founding fathers, I came across um, John Peter Mullenberg. How many of you have heard of John Mullenberg? I haven't. Okay. Well, then I'm going to teach you something new today. Praise God. Uh, In 1776, he was the pastor at Woodstock, Virginia Church, uh, Lutheran Church, and he was inspired by uh, his calling to want to make a difference. And he was known throughout, he was trained in Germany, his father was a minister, he was sent back to the United States, Um, he'd actually served in the English military for a little while, the British military, and he came to the U.S., he had a passion for this nation, and he had a passion for the Lord, and he was teaching and preaching, and he had a fervency about his preaching, and uh, he was requested by some of those who were part of the revolutionary movement to be one of their leaders, and so... On uh, January 21st, he got up in front of his congregation and he preached from Ecclesiastes verse, chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, where it talks about a season, that there's a season for everything in life. There's a, uh, there's a season uh, to give birth and there's a season to die. Um, there's all these different things if you go through that passage, seasons. Well, one is there's a time for peace and there's a time for war. And they felt that there was such a level of tyranny from the British Uh, really in overtaking some of the areas that he felt called to lead. And he had his military garb underneath, even with the sword, and he was wearing his pastoral robe. And when he got to that verse, he said, there's a season for peace and there's a season for war. And ladies and gentlemen, we are in a season of war. And he took off his robe and he said, anyone wants to join me, we're going today to enlist and to begin this battle. And as he walked out, 150 men from that congregation joined him, and they became uh, soldiers in this newfound revolution. Well, he had a brother named Frederick Mullenberg, and Frederick was a pastor in in, uh, New York City, and he actually found out about his brother doing this, and he wrote him a scathing letter, and he told him, pastors should not get involved in political things. This is none of our business. We need to focus on the church and the gospel and the message of God's word and not to be involved in these types of things. And he actually ended up writing him quite a few letters saying this, uh, encouraging him not to be so involved in this military action. Well, unfortunately for Frederick, and as you see, this is uh, John. This is a a depiction of him in his uh, pastoral robes, taking them off, getting ready for battle. This is Peter. 
or Frederick. And Frederick actually, uh, he was a pastor of a church in New York City that he heard that the British soldiers were coming to New York City and he had heard that they were violent and that they were burning churches and tearing down churches and they, they would go to churches first because in most towns, the church had the greatest influence. And so they felt like if they could intimidate and make sure that the people in that area knew who was in charge, that that's how they would keep their control. And so he heard that they were coming, so he told his wife and children to flee. And then finally, he was encouraged to flee. Um, there were 19 churches at that time in New York City. Can you imagine that? 19, that's not very many compared to today. Out of the 19, 10 of them were burned to the ground. The other nine were vandalized to a place where they couldn't be used. And this was a turning point for Frederick as he realized that the freedom to worship God, the freedom to open our, our Bibles and study God's word together, to declare the name of Jesus, to declare the true gospel, has to be fought for at times. It's not free. It costs something. And so he ended up joining, and interestingly enough, uh, he, he went on to be the first speaker of the United States House of Representatives, and in that, him and uh, John Adams were given the task of coming up uh, with the Bill of Rights to come to ratify it, to make sure that it was complete and accurate for the states to take it on as their Bill of Rights as well. And so in the Bill of Rights, he was part of the penning and signing. Only two people signed the Bill of Rights, John Adams and Frederick Muhlenberg. And here's what the first Bill of Rights is. Congress shall make no law respective an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or the rights of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. He penned that, he signed that, and the reason he did is because he recognized that the tyranny of a government can come in and overtake a church. And so many people today, especially in our universities, teach that this is the founding of separation of church and state. Yes, so that the state doesn't overwhelm the church and shut it down and tell it what to do and what it can say and can't say. And so here we see at the very foundations of our nation that God used pastors. Do you realize that 90% of the initial leaders within the Congress were ministers who were leading the way? Pastors of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it wasn't because uh, politics was so important. It was because the gospel was so important. It wasn't so important because it was a political movement. It was so important because God's way is the best way. The word of God is truth. If it's not truth, then we're wasting our time. And it, if it is truth, then it is the foundation of all that we do. And I think every one of us, no matter where you find yourself politically today, you would agree that we are not building uh, the house of the United States on the rock of Jesus Christ. I think we would all agree that we are in shifting sand, human opinion, human ideas, who has the best idea and who can get everyone to agree to it. And so we're living in a time that's rejected this fundamental foundation, and we need to stand strong in a loving way and declare the truth. Because if we truly love our neighbors, if we truly love the people of our community, then we want to speak to them the best way to live their lives. 
Telling the truth is the best way to live your life. Being honorable is the best way to live your life. For our young men to have high principles, respecting women, treating them uh, in a way that they would want to treat themselves or they would want their mother to be treated, that they would see them as a sister and not an object to be used. For our young women to realize that they have value outside of their looks, that they would recognize that they can do so much when God uses them for his purposes. These are the things we need to share and teach our community because our community is being taught an absolute lie. And just like the British had overtaken and they were showing their power and their authority in the revolution, today there's a revolution happening in our nation. It's humanism, it's secularism, and it's satanic. Literally, the enemy is revealing himself and teaching our children the, the principles of what it is to reject God as, as the one and true God. And so we are in a place in our time to take off our robe and begin to put the, the full armor of God on and say the battle belongs to the Lord. And I will not sit down and be quiet and just sit behind some doors and, and sing our songs together and, and, and mind our own business because if we do that, we do not love. We do not love if we do not share the good news of Jesus Christ. We do not love if we don't recognize on the 4th of July somebody fought for us to have independence and freedom to worship and freedom to share the good news. And so today, what we're truly celebrating is the gift from God. And that gift was, was planted and it was watered with the blood of the founding fathers and those that came before so that we could have the freedom to do this. Now it's our responsibility to stand up and carry on what they have begun. And so this morning, we're talking about worship. We're talking about coming together to worship God together. And worship is something that starts in your spirit. And it's something that comes, it's an outflow of who you are. And I would encourage you that worship isn't just songs. Even though we sing beautiful songs, that's not really worship. That's a part of worship. But that isn't what absolute worship is. And so today, we're going to ask God, what, what is it that he, how does God want us to worship him? How are we to worship him? We understand we're not to worship this country or these things, but we're to worship him. How do we worship him? How do we worship him well? And so as we go into that, I want to ask you a personal question this morning, a question I ask myself. Why did you come to church today? Why did you come to this worship service? Why are we here? What does it mean that this is a worship service? Are we truly worshiping God in these moments? Is that truly what our heart's desire is? And so when we talk about restarting, it's just a, a point of, of asking ourselves the questions and then allowing God to reveal the answers and then conforming to his way. And so that's my goal. Uh, what I am to share is not my opinions. It is God's word, and that's my desire is to be faithful with that journey and that opportunity and I just want to say to you, one of the things that inspired me most when we were in Malawi, Africa, is that when we sang, most of the time we didn't have, sometimes we had instruments, sometimes we didn't have instruments. But the one instrument that was the loudest was the voice. And there were children that were six or seven years old singing passionately with all of their heart. There were men and women that were 80, 90 years old passionately singing with all their heart. There were people in their 40s, their 30s, their 20s. Every generation was represented. And there wasn't one person sitting there not participating. There wasn't one person not giving everything they had, both their body and their voice, in worship of the one true God. And I'm telling you, I was convicted. I was convicted personally that I haven't taken worship seriously in both music and lifestyle. 
and that I believe in the United States, one of our challenges is, because we are so blessed and because we have so many options, that we begin to believe that is our preference is what God cares about most. We begin to believe that worship is a preference. It's a style. It's a buffet. Which one do I like? Which one do I not like? And I think that is an absolute lie. And so today, we're going to dive in and say, God, how do you want us to worship you? How do you want us? How do you want me? You created me to worship you. How do you want me to worship you the right way? And so we're going to ask him to speak to us. Before we do that, let's precede his word with prayer. Father God, you are awesome. You are holy. You are just. Lord, even as we think of the Revolutionary War and uh, how Britain was uh, better equipped, uh, had better training, had more money, and yet because of your sovereignty, you allowed us to be a free nation today. Lord, we thank you that you love us, that you desire for us to worship you with all that we are, and that, Lord, uh, we would celebrate you more than the world celebrates its celebrations. Lord, I ask as we look to your word that it would speak clearly to us, that we would understand it, that it would move us, that it would break free from any of those things that are hindering us from becoming completely what you want us to be. And so, Lord, I thank you for these moments. I thank you for what you're going to do. I pray that you would protect us as we listen to your word, and, Lord, that you would guide us as we anticipate your return, that we would be ready. If you were to show up in the middle of the service, that we would be excited and ready for that moment. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to begin in Philippians chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, this is the overarching uh, passage we'll be using for this whole series is Philippians chapter 3. Uh, if you want to turn there, it'll be on the screens as well. I encourage you to bring a Bible and for us all to participate as we look to God's word together. But Philippians chapter 3 verse 13, if you want to look it up on your phone, whatever you want to do. But it's good for us to do this together. Philippians chapter 3 verse 13. Here's what it reads. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. Now, this is Paul writing to the Philippian church, and he's trying to encourage them to not live in the past, to not even live in the future, but to live in the present seeking after the future that we are to commit ourselves every day to not live on what God has done in our past, to not live on what we think is going to happen in the future, but that in the very moment that we are at, that we would stop and make sure that everything that in, that's in us is directed on God so that we are Bible-based in how we live our life, we are Christ-centered in how we live our life, and that we are Spirit-led, that we can align our decision-making on God's Word. I can find places in God's Word that validate my decision-making. That I, I can see Jesus in his way and his actions reflected in my way and my actions. And that I know that the spirit of God is leading me. Whether it's in the very beginning of the day, whether it's at work with family in the community, I sense the Holy Spirit of God leading and guiding me. And so I don't look to what I used to be like because I need to be moving forward. And I don't look to what I want to be because I'm not there yet. I look at today and I say, today, what am I doing? In this very moment, what am I doing? Where's my focus? What am I willing to stop that I need to stop? And what am I willing to start that I need to start? And so there's a challenge when it comes to the area of worship. There's a problem that we all face 
And this is a problem that's existed since basically uh, God revealed himself to Abram and throughout all the generations of the Hebrews and then into the resurrection, ascension of Christ and the establishment of the church. Mark chapter 7, Mark chapter 7, New Testament, verses 6 through 9. This is Jesus speaking. This is, a, this is an eyewitness account. This is someone recording through the power of the Holy Spirit something that actually happened in history. Jesus said, he answered them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Interestingly enough, that word hypocrite is a Greek word that's used for actors on a stage, hypocrisy, that they would they would play a part. So they would play one character and they'd play another character and they'd play another character and they'd play another character. And so the hypocrite was the one who played the character that the, the writer or the scene called for. And so they were never genuine. It was never the authentic person. It was always a character that they were playing. And so he's saying, you're hypocrites um, because you honor me with your lips, but in your hearts you play a character that honors me. And maybe you're like this. I had this character when I was growing up. It was Church Mike, right? That's Church Mike. He knows all the churchy words to think. He knows all the say. He knows all those things that you're supposed to do as a church person. He knows all the Jesus answers. He knows all the Bible answers. That's Church Mike. And Mike would put on his church outfit when he went to church in that costume. And I would pretend to be Church Mike. And then when I was away from church, I was World Mike. And World Mike was a lot different than Church Mike. And maybe you can relate to this. Maybe you know what it's like to be one thing here and a completely different thing somewhere else. You know, it's the comedian talks about, don't be surprised when we meet these people. They think I have a British accent, right? Because sometimes we're one way around one group of people, and then we're a completely other way around another group of people. I can remember when I was in college, we had a prayer meeting, and after the prayer meeting, I had shared some things about living for the Lord, and the guy who ran the prayer meeting came up to me and said, is this really who you are? Is this really who you are? Because a lot of people say this, but it's not really who they are. And so the, te the, the problem we have, the challenge all of us in this room are going to have, there's not one of us that are not going to be tempted to play a part. I know what I should look like. I know what I should sound like. I know how I should act when I'm around church people, when I'm around Christians. And so we come up with this character, and our worship is just a character worship. It's not a sincere, genuine worship from my heart. It's not a commitment or complete uh, giving of myself to the Lord. It's a character that I've created. Then it goes on in verse 7 to say, They worship me in vain, teaching a doctrine of human commands. Abandoning the commands of God, you hold on to human what? Tradition. He also said to them, you have fine, a fine way of invalidating God's command in order to set up your tradition. Now, I've been in church. I'll be a pastor next year 20 years. Can you believe that? 20 years. And in those 20 years, I have myself and met others that really lean into the traditions of man and lean into the rules and regulations. And I found sometimes you can be the farthest away from God but claim to be his ambassador. You can tell everyone else how to live their life, but you yourself are far away. You do not have the love for him that you should. 
And so I can see how this is a, t a temptation for all of us. I can see where all of us can begin to believe, well, this is what I was told as a child. This is what I was told when I was a young person. This is the traditions that I choose to keep. And that we elevate the traditions of man over the relevant and present word of God. We elevate the traditions. This is what I raised with. This is what I grew up with. This is what I'm comfortable with. This is what I like over the relevant present word of God. And the relevant present word of God is active. It's like a double-edged sword. It pierces both our soul and our spirit. It's relevant to today because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God's word is as present and relevant as has ever been. It will never go irrelevant. It'll never be a tradition. It'll always be something to be done in the moment, something to be done in the instant of it. And so worship is not historical, and worship is not futuristic. It is present. And so when we come to worship, the goal isn't to remember the good old days or to hope for a good future. It's to worship in that very present moment, thanking God that this is the day the Lord has made. I choose to rejoice and be glad in today. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, today. I worship you this moment. I worship you this second I thank you for this moment. I thank you for this place. I thank you for these things. And it's so important because the churches, so many churches have divided. So many people have made their identity based in a tradition of men and not the clear and present uh, forthrightness of the Holy Spirit today. That today is the day we worship. Today is the day. I don't want old wineskin. I don't want old manna. I want new manna and a new wineskin. I want a fresh renewing of, of God's spirit in my life every day. I don't want to rely when I was six years old and pray Christ to come into my life. I don't want to rely on a spiritual high I had when I was in high school. I don't want to rely on a camp I went to in college. I want today to be the day that I worship him with all that I am. I'm never looking at another point in history or in the future. I'm always looking at today, and I believe that's what God wants us to focus on. Jesus was very clear. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Don't consider the things of the past. They are gone. You can't do anything about them. They're frozen. It's only in this moment, this moment now, where is your heart stirring? Is it to an offense or is it to a place of worship? Is it to joy or is it to anger? Is it to happiness or is it to vindictiveness? This is the option we have when we worship God. This is the challenge we have. And in truth, when it comes to traditions of men, Jesus gave us two ordinances. There are two things Jesus said we are to do when we gather. These are the two things. He said, he didn't say what style of music. He didn't say what order of service. He didn't say where to meet. He didn't say how to meet. He didn't say any of those things. He said, when you meet, I want you to baptize people when they get saved. He ordained us as a church to worship him through baptism. So if you come to Christ and you confess with your mouth, and you believe in your heart that Christ is your Savior, that he rose from the grave for you, and you can receive that gift, then the next thing is to be baptized. It's an ordinance given to us. It's not a tradition. It is an ordinance. And we don't do it because it's a traditional thing. We do it because it's a relevant, present thing that must be done. And so we baptize people. 
That's one ordinance. The second is we take communion. Once a month here in First Baptist Port Orange, we have decided that we're going to take communion because we were told as an ordinance of Jesus Christ himself, do this as often as you gather in remembrance of me. Remember me. And don't just remember me. Remember that you're a lost sinner saved by my body being broken and my blood being shed. And so it's an ordinance. It's not historical. It is present. I have been saved. Today, I have hope today. My eternity is set today because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we come together and have communion, common unity, that we're unified in this one truth that is the most important truth of all, that the, we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ. That not, none of us should boast because it was by his shed blood that our sins have been forgiven. And so as we come to this place, that's a present issue. That's something we're to consider today. And so I think we can all agree. It's a challenge not to let other things rise to the top, right? There are things that you grew up with. There are things that you love. And I'm not here to undermine those things. I'm not here to devalue those things. I'm not here to say that they didn't mean anything. They meant a lot. But the truth is, is we got to keep moving forward. And that thing that moved you to the Lord, we need to move everyone to the Lord. The thing that built that up in your life, we need other people to get built up in their life. That thing that inspired you to follow Jesus with all your heart, we need to give to other people to inspire them to love Jesus with all their heart. We are not the last chain in the link. We are one that has been placed at this time at this place to continue on the kingdom of God and to worship him to our best ability. And so as we look at that, we see that God gives us a fairly clear answer. If you want to turn to John, not 1st, 2nd, or 3rd John, but John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 4, verse 23. This is an interesting story. I'd encourage you to read it later, the whole story, because it's a very fascinating and powerful message. There's a woman at a well. She has no idea she's about to meet the creator of the universe. She has no idea who she's talking to, and she has no idea that he knows everything about her. And so he begins to ask her if she would give him some water from the well. She has some questions. They have dialogue. He reveals his true nature. And then he says something profound at the end of their conversation, and that's where we're going to pick up. In John chapter 4, verse 23, he says this, Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Did you know that God is seeking worshipers in this room right now? Think about that. God is looking for worshipers. And what does he define the worshipers as? Those who are worshiping him in two areas, their spirit and in truth. First of all, you cannot worship God unless you have been born spiritually. And you cannot be born spiritually unless you've been twice born. You have to be physically born. And then to be spiritually born, you confess and believe. And when you confess, believe Christ is your Savior and he has risen from the grave, the Bible says you will receive the Holy Spirit of God. You will be spiritually alive. And so when you worship in spirit, it means from your spirit, from the place that the Holy Spirit resides within you, screams out the worship of God. 
That from within you, there's something that you cannot even contain that's coming out and saying, I love you, Lord God. You are worthy of my life. I am thankful for today. Thank you for my family. Thank you for these freedoms. It is something that swells up from within you. It is the Holy Spirit of God. But even in that, there are people that will abuse emotion and say, well, it's an emotional experience. And they'll begin to say things and do things that are untrue or are false. And so God and Jesus even give us a very clear definition of what this means, that you're doing it in spirit, in a truthful spirit. Not an emotional, uh, I'm rousing myself up and forcing myself to have an emotional experience, but a truthful, grounded in God, in his word, experience of worship. And so when I worship, I recognize that God's word is shaping that worship. God's spirit is overflowing that worship. And that worship is directed at Jesus because he's loved me enough to die for me. And so this morning as we come together, are we truly worshiping God in spirit and in truth? Verse 24 says, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, worship isn't just singing. Worship is much more than that. Yeah. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, it tells us what spiritual worship is. And many of you have heard this verse, and this is a verse I go back to all the time. It's one of those verses I know, but I need to be reminded of on a regular basis. It's a verse you probably know, but you need to be reminded of on a regular basis. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy giving us what we don't deserve, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and what? Proper worship. This is worship. What is worship? Giving my life sacrificially to God. What does it mean to give my life sacrificially to God? It means when I wake up in the morning, I say, this is the day the Lord has made. I choose to rejoice and be glad in it. There are things that are stressful in my life. There are things I do not like in my life. There's a lot of issues that I have to deal with in my life. But I choose to rejoice. I sacrifice all those issues. I sacrifice my pride. I sacrifice my selfishness. I sacrifice my self-centeredness. From every moment of the day, this is what we're called to do. You sacrifice your flesh to the Lord that his Holy Spirit may be worshipped through you. Worship is the sacrifice of your flesh and your desires so that God's desire and his holiness would be revealed through you. Singing is just one of the instruments because when we sing... Hopefully the words are connected to truth in our life, and it connects our emotions, it connects our heart, it connects our memories, it connects our hopes, and it brings them all in line and says, this is who I am and what I believe. And when you sing, hopefully you're saying, less of me and more of you, Lord. Less of me and more of you. Whether the people think I'm a good singer around me, whether anyone likes this song or not, I'm not concerned about any of those things. I'm only concerned of less of me and more of you, Lord. I'm only concerned that I'm spiritually seeking you and loving you and allowing you to mold me and to shape me. True worship, true worship isn't knowledge. It's much deeper than knowledge. True worship is sacrifice. Will I sacrifice my will? Will I sacrifice my desires 
to seek after God's desires. He tells us how to do it. So the greatest form of worship is sacrificial obedience. Verse 2, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The greatest form of, of worship is obedience. Did you realize that? Worship is obedience. They go together. If I worship him, I obey him. Worship is a form of obedience. It's the greatest form. And we have patterns in our lives. Think about the patterns in your lives. How many unhealthy, unhealthy patterns do you, do you have? It's so important. The patterns of our lives must be remitted to God regularly. Every single day, I have to confront the patterns that begin to rise up. My anger, my impatience, uh, my ungratefulness, my bitterness, all those patterns are going to keep coming back. And I have to reshape my mind and say, no, I am bought with a price. I have been freed from this sin. I have been freed from this by the victory on the cross. I remind myself of who I am and whose I am and who I will become. It's a day-to-day, in the moment, in the present, coming together and saying, your will be done. Your will be done. What is love? You tell me, God. What is justice? You tell me, God. What do you have for me today? You tell me, God. I want to conform to you in every area of my life. But it's a commitment. And this is the part of Christianity I think is so important we share with everyone. Because sometimes the message gets out, give your life to Jesus and everything will be wonderful after that. Just give your heart to Jesus and everything's fixed. It's just the beginning when you give your life to Jesus. That's the first chapter in your story. And guess what? Your story is going to have a lot of ups and downs. Your story is going to have a lot of challenges. And it's only when every single day you remind yourself that you are saved by grace and faith that every day you look back that I know he loves me because he died for me. I know he wants to lead me. I will not give up. I will not fall into those traps. I will not give in to temptation. That's what worship is. And we need to come together every Sunday and encourage each other. And we're not looking to have a tradition of man worship service. We're looking to have a present, clear worship of God through our obedience to him. What does he want us to do in this room? How does he want us to spend our time together? How should we live out our lives? What should we do on the 4th of July weekend? God, you lead us, your Holy Spirit. And if it's uncomfortable, that's okay, because we're not here to be comfortable. We're not here to come and say, this is my preference on the buffet of Christianity. Here's what I like. Here's what I don't like. That is the world. That is not the Lord. The Lord says, you show me, you worship me through your sacrifice, through your humility, through your willing to conform to what I have called you to. Anything else is false. Anytime you find your spirit rising up, and I've found myself a lot rising up, and I don't like it that way, and I don't want it that way, and guess what? That's the flesh within me, and that flesh needs to be destroyed and crucified and not fed on a daily basis. And so for us to worship, we need to come here and we need to lay ourselves in front of the Lord and say, whatever it is you want in me, I want in me. And whatever you want out of me, I want out of me. And that's my worship. And that's our worship. How do we apply this? How do we live this out? How do we take this with us? And it's not just something we know. 
I believe first we need to take spiritual inventory. What do you think about when you're singing songs here on Sunday? Are you grading me right now? He's getting a B minus. He's getting an F. Are you worried about the seats? Are you worried about the stage? Are you concerned about how something looks or how you feel? Is the temperature right? I'm telling you right now, you will stand before the king of the universe and hold, be held in account for all of these things. And if I don't warn you now, I am not a good pastor. You will stand in front of your creator and he will say, why in the world would you think as a follower of me that is justifiable? I don't seek half-hearted Christians. I don't seek half-hearted servants. I don't seek people that if it goes their way, then they'll follow me. I either want you all in or not in at all. That's the kind of God we serve. He's not in the middle. He even tells us, if you are lukewarm, it is though I want to spew you out my mouth. Be hot or be cold. Do not be lukewarm. There is great judgment ahead for those who sit in a church seat, a pew, and judge everything. And consider that somehow this place is a place to serve you on your wants and desires. I'm, I, I've been there myself. So I, I'm not hypocritical in this. I recognize this is something even all of us need to consider on a regular basis. But the truth is, as we move forward, there's going to be things we do that you say, well, I don't like that. That's not my preference. That's not how I would do it. That's not the way I like it. But you need to understand we're meeting every Wednesday, and there are people praying about these things and fasting about these things and saying, God, what would you have us do? And when we pray, God doesn't say, I want you to do the easiest, most comfortable thing possible. Usually, he says, I want you to stretch yourself. I want you to sacrifice all the things that you've held up so high and start putting my way first no matter what. That is what he's calling us to. And my prayer is that all of us begin to live spirit-filled lives. Because when you're spirit-filled, all you can see is forever. You don't see the, the taxes. You don't see the bills. You don't, those things are there, but that's not what gives you the pain in life. The pain in life is I don't want to miss out on the eternal things. I don't want to lose God's blessing or God's favor or God's presence in my life. Where are you today? when it comes to taking inventory of your life spiritually? How are you worshiping God? Are you worshiping, is it just one moment in one place at, at a Sunday or a Wednesday, or is it literally every moment of your life? When you come to that place and you recognize, man, I got a lot, all of us have a lot of room to grow here, we need to pray for wisdom. I do not want you to walk away from here wounded. I want you to walk here excited about the future. That there's a possibility for all of us to live spirit-filled lives. That we're so in love with God that our flesh doesn't matter as much anymore. That I'm not always thinking about my problems and what my flesh is telling me to think about. That my mind begins to think about spiritual things. And I begin to get excited about what God is doing. And I begin to focus on how God is moving and not how my stomach is hungry or things aren't working out so well for me. That's the prayer. That's the wisdom we need. And so you get to a point and you say, God, what do you want me to stop? Am I picky? 
Am I, am I always judging things? Am I angry? Am I quick to anger? Help me to get that out of my life. I want that out. I don't want, when it's all said and done, this person was an angry person. They couldn't control themselves. This person was a picky person, and they always told everyone what was wrong. I don't want that to be said about me. It's not just enough to get rid of those things. we got to ask God, what do you want to start in my life? How can I truly serve the people around me? How can I truly reflect you to the people in this world? How can I love better? How can I love you better? Are you willing to make those commitments? So for that to happen, it begins in our spirit. And if you haven't been born again or twice born, this is the moment to do that. It's simply this. I confess that I'm a sinner, very self-centered. And I believe you died on the cross for all of my sins. You rose again to give me eternal life. If you've never prayed to Christ in that way, and receive the gift of salvation. Do that today. Do not wait. You don't know how many more opportunities you're going to get. Don't waste this one. But I'm assuming many of us in this room have prayed that prayer. But that's chapter one. Where are you in your journey? Are you further, are you closer to God today than you were a year ago? Are you closer to God today than you were a week ago? Are there things in your life you know God's saying, I need this out? For me to live in you and be part of you, I need this to go. Is there any of that in your life? Or on the other side, is there anything right now that God's saying, I need you to add this into your life? I need you to start praying daily. I need you to start reading your Bible daily. I need you to start witnessing. I need you to start fasting. I need you to start being more committed to the church.